Blog Talk Radio. Today is Saturday, August 12, 2017, and this is The Secret Math of Money, presented by Evil Bunny Consulting. I'm Tyrone Griffin, and this show is all about the things we should have been taught in high school, but we weren't. Welcome, everybody. Thank you for tuning in this week. Um, as always, just thank you. Appreciate it. This week, the topic is how to buy real estate. Before I get into that, um, let me say this up front. I am not a financial advisor. I'm not certified in any way. Everything I'm talking about are things I researched and are my opinion only. Consider this entertainment. Anything I say here, please, I encourage you, research for yourself and make your own decision about how to invest your money. This is just my information that I, that I believe, okay? So don't take anything I say as gospel. As a matter of fact, I don't want you to believe anything. What I want you to do is be curious about it and to go and do your own research. Okay, that's what I would encourage you to do. So don't believe anything anybody says until you have done your own research, okay? So with that said, let's get into the show. But first, one of the things, this week we're going to talk about real estate, but one thing I want to talk about real quick is I always, you know, I love stocks. I always love talking about stocks. And the IPO for Snapchat happened back in March. And right now, that particular stock, and I'm not trying to bash the stock because somebody asked me this week about that stock, and I want to try to address the question. That stock is down. It was dropped 14% yesterday. <clears throat> Excuse me. It IPO'd about 17. I think it went up to 24, and now it's trading at 11. And somebody asked me, was that because of, it was an IPO? No, in my opinion. Snapchat is getting crushed. Okay, again, it dropped 14% yesterday. If you go back to our show on stocks, remember I said, the value of the stock is what you can get somebody to pay you for. People have been thinking for years that Snapchat was worth whatever. When the bankers did the IPO, they did all kinds of calculations, and they said this stock is worth this. The market says it's worth this. doesn't matter what the bankers say. The market is this is what the market is. So people who got into that IPO early, if they didn't get out, they lost a good half of their money. Okay? Um, again, I'm not bashing the company. I'm just trying to explain what happened. The perception, for whatever reason, of the company is that the value of the stock is here and not here. So, again, yesterday it lost 14%, which is like, oh, that's painful. So, anyway, uh, somebody asked me this week about that stock, and they asked me, was it because it was an IPO? And I said, no, it doesn't have anything to do with the fact that it was an IPO. It has to do with the fact that the value of the stock, for people's perception, is not what it used to be. Okay? Plain and simple. Enron stock, how much is it worth? You know, value is what you can get somebody to pay you for something, period. Don't ever forget that. It's about what you can get somebody to pay you for. Forget what the calculations say. The value is the only way you can get somebody to pay you. So anyway, with that said, I just wanted to get that out there. This week, we want to talk about a few things. Now, we've talked about mortgages before, but uh, I did a little bit of more research on some things, and, and I'll talk about specifically about land contracts, which is what uh, made all of this this idea come up. I listened to a podcast called Reveal, um, and they talked about land contracts. Now, what are land contracts? Back in the um, I think this was early in the 50s and 60s, maybe even the 40s, um, and somewhere even earlier than that, in some parts of the country, it was illegal for people of color to own stock. I mean, I'm sorry, to own houses, to own real estate. It was illegal. Uh, so what they but what they could do was to get into a land contract, which was well, I don't say it was illegal, but they couldn't get a mortgage. So you get a land contract, which is basically seller finance. So you, you see a house you want to buy, but for whatever reason, you can't get a mortgage. 
you can enter into what's called a land contract where you are paying the seller directly. The, the seller becomes your bank, and you agree to pay the seller a certain amount of money for X number of years, and at the end of that time period, you own the house. That's what a land contract is. Now, the benefits of a land contract is, again, if you, if you can't get a mortgage for whatever reason, you have bad credit or something else, and you can't get a mortgage, or the banks won't give you a mortgage, which is what was happening in a lot of black communities, uh, you can go and, and get a land contract and re- make a deal directly with the seller. That's the benefit to the, to, the, to the buyer. The benefit to the seller of a land contract is they can kind of dictate the terms. They can ask for a bigger down payment. They can, ask for, you know, they can negotiate the actual terms. Now, here's and one of the biggest benefits to the seller, if not the biggest benefit to the seller in a land contract, is that if you miss a payment, they can call it a forfeit and keep all your money and you get nothing. Think about that a minute. You've got a piece of land, you've been paying on it, or house, you've been paying on it for four or five years, whatever. If you miss one payment, depending on how the contract is written, and this is what happened to a lot of people, you miss one payment, and all of a sudden the deal goes away. And now everything you paid up to that point, the seller gets to keep. Okay, but you have, if you want to then buy the house, you have to start a whole new contract. One missed payment. So you can imagine what was happening to a lot of people, a lot of particularly people of color. They would pay on a house for years and years and years, and for whatever reason, miss one one payment, and all of a sudden they have nothing. Okay, the reason, and again, I was listening to the Reveal podcast. They were talking about how land contracts are suddenly becoming in vogue again. I, I when I give you any financial advice, because I'm not a financial, I'm not any kind of certified financial advisor. But me personally, I would never, I cannot see a situation, a scenario where I would actively and intentionally enter into a land contract um, on either side, actually. I, I don't want to deal with that. But as a buyer, I cannot see a scenario where I would intentionally enter into a land contract if for no other reason, just that piece of if I miss a payment, it all goes away. That's that's scary, and it happens to a lot of people where you pay on it for years or months or whatever, and you miss a payment or you're late with a payment, and depending on how that contract is written, you get nothing. Your contract goes away, you get nothing. So you have to start all over again. So that is, that is, that is the one thing about this contract, about a land contract that um, – you know, brought to me, made me think about all of these different things in this, in this realm. So that's a land contract. Again, you decide for yourself if, if it's something that you want to enter into. I encourage you with any, uh, any kind of real estate contract that you pursue, enter into, that you consult a lawyer. A lawyer and a real estate agent probably as well. You consult somebody and, and see um, so you understand what you're entering into. Okay, so that's, that's, that's what a land contract is. Again, they're in vogue. I think it was in Detroit, I think, was the city that they talked about where all of a sudden a lot of people are, are, you know, can't get property for whatever reason, and they're entering into these land contracts, and it's, it's not going to be pretty. Um, it's, 
And I think, and I'm trying to remember exactly how the podcast said, but basically people are starting to invest in these things. Companies that have, are, are writing land contracts on a lot of their land. They went and found a lot of foreclosed property. They bought it up for dirt cheap. They're writing land contracts on it, and then people are investing in them. Think about an investment. Any investment you do, and you expect a certain return, there's a reason there's a, that that return is going to come in. Not just land, and somebody's got to pay for that return. And if, it's, if they know they're paying for it up front, that's one thing. If they're getting snookered into it, that's a whole different issue. So um, anyway, you make a decision for yourself what you want to do. But for me personally, I just don't see in a, a scenario where I would enter into one of these contracts. Um, next thing I want to talk about are, you know, people heard the term quick claim. So what's a quick claim? A quick claim is basically you assign your, um, your, your ownership in a particular piece of property to someone else. Um, quick claims, it's just, it, reading up is just weird to me. Um, but, yeah, if you own a piece of property, you can say, here, I'm quick claiming it over to you. Um, you, you assign the, the, the deed, but if there's any financial obligations to that property, like a mortgage, you keep that. So I think this is something usually what people do when they have um, – the house is paid off, you know, when it's, um, you know, the parents want to quick claim it over to their kids or sip, but there's no mortgage attached. So that, I think that's the, the, the best time to do this because, again, I'm not going to give you the land and then I keep paying the mortgage. I'm not going to give you the house and then I'm, you know, I'm still paying the mortgage. That, that doesn't make sense. So quick claim, real simple, is just assigning your ownership right. Now, here's the thing. If you're in a situation where there are two or three people that own a piece of property together, and one of them quick claims their ownership to somebody else, if they try to say, well, they're going to quick claim the whole thing, not just their piece, then there's no transaction. Okay, when, when, if it, gets, it, when it gets caught, and it most likely will get caught, there, is no, there was no transaction. So nothing happened. You can only quick claim the, the, the ownership that you legally own, that you have in a piece of property. Um, quick claims, you know, I... I you don't, I don't hear about them too often, but sometimes people do. So that's what a, a, a quick claim. Um, let's talk about land leases. Now, that's different than land contracts. Let's talk about land leases. And I'm going to talk about this from personal experience. I used to own a condominium uh, in the northeastern state. And we were, I was head of the homeowners association, so I knew everything going on. We had what was called a land lease. Um, we owned the buildings, the structure, the condominium complex. We owned the buildings. We were leasing the land underneath. Now, this presented a, a couple of really weird situations. It was a 99-year lease. Yeah, so this, the, land lease, the, the owner of the land was going to be paid for a long time. At the end of that lease, what happens? Um, the, if you stop leasing the land, you know, you own the buildings, you don't own the land. They could tell you to move the buildings. I mean, it, it's, it's a, it's, it could get really weird, you know, with a, with a land lease. But the, more particularly with a land lease, and I can speak to the situation that I was in, um, and we went to court. We were fighting the thing. And I'm not going to get into the details, but we were fighting it because um, we felt, as a homeowners association at that time, and so did a, a court in Florida in a, in a very similar type of land lease, that it was unconscionable. Why was it unconscionable? Because 
the land lease uh, paperwork said the lease went up 5% every year. Now, in our particular case, and I, I mean, I bought my condo. I was 24, 25. I didn't know anything about this, what this mess was. We paid the taxes on the land. We paid for the upkeep of the land. You say, well, what's the big deal about that? The landowner had nothing to do but collect the check. That's all they did. They didn't pay the taxes. They didn't keep the land up. We did all that. So they basically wrote a deal. And, and how it happened, I know how it happened. I'm not going to get into that because that's a whole other podcast. But they, the, the contract, that, when the original lease happened for the land, that's how it was written so that the landowner uh, didn't have to do anything. The, the, the homeowners association was paying for all this stuff. Now, again, it went up 5% a year. You think that's not a, that's not a, not a money. 5%, 5%, 5% every year for 99 years. There was another homeowners association near us, you know, 10 miles away, 15 miles away from us, that was further down the road in their lease. And I am not exaggerating. There are common fees because that's where all that money comes from. When you have, when you have a condominium, you have homeowners, even subdivision, you have homeowners associ- HOA, homeowners association fees, which keep up the land if you have a pool or you have other things amenities around, that money goes to pay for those things. Um, but this other condominium, uh, maybe 10 miles from us, they were 20 years maybe into their lease or 30 years into it. Their common fees per unit were like $1,000 a month. Not a year, a month. How did that happen? 5%, 5%, 5%, 5%, 5% every year. There were people going bankrupt monthly. Every month they were going bankrupt because they couldn't afford to live in their condominium. Their mortgage may be $400, depending on what their selling price was when they bought it. Their common fees were 1000 so they're paying $1,400 a month. And anybody who's a homeowner knows, you're paying $1,400 a month, and that's $1,000 that you get no write-off for on your taxes. And in their case, they had – it was just driving people bankrupt. So say if you have if your mortgage was a thousand dollars or fifteen hundred and you got another thousand dollars in HOA fees every month. That's the thing with a land lease. Um, it goes up and up and up and up and up. And you are stuck. Um, one of the ways and when I was doing a research for this, one of the ways they say you can tell if if a property has a land lease if you're looking at a, a condominium is that the price is, like, disgustingly cheap. You know, if, if a regular condominium, two-bedroom, three-bedroom, three two-bath or whatever, it goes for, say, $400,000, just making a number up. And, but all of a sudden, these units at this place only go for $150,000. Like, why are they so cheap? Oh, they're so cheap because they're in a land lease, okay? And you're going to pay a ton of money on your common fees. And, you know, when you're talking to a realtor, you know, common fees might get mentioned, but they don't really, you know, they don't really dwell on them. I know in my case, the realtor I had didn't dwell on, oh, yeah, these common fees are going to be going up every year. He didn't tell me that. You know, I mean, or if he did, I know what I was, you know, I was like, okay, no problem. You know, I was, again, I was like 24, 25. I had no idea what I was doing. But me personally, again, I got, that's personal experience. I was in that situation, and we went to court, and we went to court for years trying to fight this thing. And there were a whole lot of other factors going on. You know, we were trying to fight it, trying to get trying to buy the land. It was it was it was a mess. 
Um, but that's what a land lease is. My personal opinion, I will never get involved in another one. My personal advice to you as just a friend, don't do it. Don't do it. Anytime you see a land lease situation, run from it screaming, okay, because it, it's not going to end pretty. It's just, it's, it's, it's not. Um, so, yeah, so that's what a land lease is versus a land contract. We talked about land contracts. And we talked about quick claims. We talked about um, land leases. Now let's talk about um, adjustable rate mortgages. Let's talk about those for a minute. What's an adjustable rate mortgage? And I, and I forgive me if you know this, but I figure let me start on the baseline and work my way up, just in case somebody doesn't understand the difference between an adjustable rate mortgage and a and a regular fixed rate mortgage. Adjustable rate mortgage is just that: the rate adjusts. Now, why would you – what do you mean, Tyrone, that the rate adjusts? I'm glad you asked. The rate – you might – say, for example, right now the going rate on mortgages might be like 4.3%. On an adjustable rate mortgage – that's on a fixed mortgage, just making numbers up. On an adjustable rate mortgage, you might pay 2%, okay, instead of 4%. So your payment will be lower. Well, that's a great thing, right? No. Because at some point, either five years down the road, 10 years down the road, seven years down the road, 24 months down the road, some other, you know, whatever scenario they make up, that rate will adjust up. Instead of on a regular mortgage, you just pay the same thing every year. On an adjustable rate, you go here, but it wrenches up. And you could end up paying more than a fixed rate mortgage on an adjustable rate mortgage because it adjusts based on, they could say, well, every year we'll go up 2%, or they can say we're going to, um, the lender ender. London Interbank offer rate, LIBOR, um, anything. It, it, it could be based on anything, but the rate will adjust. Now, what happens when the rate adjusts? The payment adjusts. A couple of months ago, I talked about the stock, the um, financial crisis of 2007, and I said in that show that the, the financial crisis was driven by mortgages, by people having adjustable rate mortgages. Okay, these are usually two-year mortgages. And what had, what had happened, what was happening was people were getting a mortgage and it would, adjust, it would stay at this low rate for two years. After that two years, that sucker would adjust up. And it would adjust up based on, again, LIBOR or some other factor or whatever it did. As a result, people's payments might go from $300 a month to $1,400 a month because that rate, is based that your payment is based on that rate. So all of a sudden, you're paying 300, 300, 300, 1200, 1200. Well, wait, I can't afford 1200. Well, tough, tough niggies, you know. Um, but that's what an adjustable rate mortgage is. It will start, adjustable rate mortgage starts at a lower rate than a fixed rate mortgage, but it rises. And what happened in 2007, one of the things that the, 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 the catalyst for that whole fiasco was that people bought these two-year adjustable rate mortgages. And after two years and those rates adjusted, people couldn't pay their mortgages. So they ended up foreclosing. They foreclosed on their property. They couldn't pay it. And it just, it was a domino effect. And if you go back and listen to that show, you, you see how the, the, the mortgages defaulted. Well, the, by the time the mortgages defaulted, Wall Street had already bought into them and thought they were good, valid, strong mortgages. And then the bottom fell out. When the bottom fell out, because they had taken these mortgages 
and and borrowed against them as use them as collateral, all of a sudden their collateral went away. Well, when their collateral went away, then they had to come back and and find the money to 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 fund what they don't have anymore. On top of that, people had bet that those mortgages would fall, they would fail. Yeah, it was it was crazy. Go listen to that show. I tried to break it all down as simple as I could. It was back in um, March or April, I think. But it's the 2007 financial crisis explained, and it's 37 minutes long. And I mean, I yeah, it's fascinating. Not not I think that podcast is fascinating, but the story of what happened is very fascinating. When you when you realize what the story is, then you're just like, wow, this was a cluster. But anyway, so an adjustable rate mortgage. That's what it is. It starts low and the rate adjusts up. Now, why would somebody buy an adjustable rate mortgage? I'm glad you asked. It's a gamble. Obviously, it's a gamble. But why would somebody gamble like that? People would gamble that way for a couple of reasons. Um, One big reason people would take that gamble is they're not going to be in a house long. Say if you know you're going to be in a house for, you expect to only be in a house for five years. So you get a five-year adjustable rate mortgage. And you pay this low interest rate for those five years, and then at the end of that five years, the rate jumps up. But, hey, at the end of that five years, you move. So you ended up for that time you were in the house, you paid a low rate. That's a really cool reason to do it because you pay a low rate for those five years, and you're not expecting uh, to stay in that house anyway. And, you know, you say, well, I'll sell it. The real estate, the prices will be higher, and I'll sell it, and, you know, I'll move on. It's a risk because what happens if, for whatever reason, you can't move out of that house? You know, if you were expecting a job situation where, okay, I'm going to be here for five years and then I'm going to move on, um, and at the end of four years, they're like, yeah, we canceled that program. You're not moving. You're going to stay here. What do you do? You know, because now you're in this thing where you got this house that you're stuck. So you just refinance. Okay. But what are the rates now? Now you're refinancing to a fixed mortgage, and you don't know what that rate. That rate's going to be higher. Okay, you're taking a chance. Um, that's one good reason, you know. But again, it is a chance. You're taking a heck of a chance that interest rates, that that a lot of things will happen, that you will be able to move in five years. Um, there are interest-only mortgages. I'm, I'm getting off on a tangent for a minute here. Interest-only mortgages. Process that a minute. You pay nothing but interest for X number of years. At the end of that time period, you start paying, you have a balloon payment or bubble payment, and you start paying principal. So you're basically paying rent, okay, because that's all you're doing. You're paying rent, but you're getting a write-off of paying rent, okay? But anyway, back to adjustable rate mortgage. So that's the reason, the only reason I can see of somebody buying it is, is because they expect for whatever reason or however they plan to do it, they expect that within the time period uh, before that mortgage adjusts to its final rate that they'll move. If they don't, then they got to figure out how to refinance. they got to figure out how to do something to get out of that rate. Okay, so that's, um, that's the only reason I, would, I could see doing it. But, again, you're taking one heck of a chance. Now, fixed-rate mortgage is just that. You pay the same payment every month for 30 years. You, you might get a rate that's higher, yes, than uh, an adjustable-rate mortgage, but at least you know, okay, if I budget myself where I can pay this much, this much every month, I never got to worry about it. I'm always going to be paying this much. 
you do an adjustable rate mortgage, you got you can you can have trouble. Okay, so that's the the, the basic difference in an adjustable rate and a fixed rate. Um, during the financial crisis, and I, I'm talking about it a little bit more because it was the the, the, the impetus, the the spark that cued all that was mortgages. There were uh, ninja mortgages, no job, no income. You didn't have to prove anything. And what was happening is, you know, if anybody out there has got a regular mortgage, you know, it, they, they crawl, they do a body cavity search with a fine-tooth comb with bristles on the side, okay? But these no job, no income, NJ, N-O-N-J, N-N or something, no job, no income uh, mortgages, they, um, they basically said, okay, I want to buy this house. This house has cost a million dollars. Okay, well, to afford that house, you need to be making $247,927.55. And they said, coincidentally, that's exactly how much I make. And the realtor said, good, we're good. And you didn't have to prove and have to bring any pay stubs and all that kind of stuff. You just, yep, I make that. No job, no income verification. They, you said you made it. They said good, and they gave you a loan. Think about how crazy that is for a minute. Just let that process a minute. It's like you go get a job. You go and apply for a job. And the company, you're like, well, you know, you don't ask this question, but in the back of your mind, you're thinking, well, this company be around long, you know, I don't want to start working here, and all of a sudden they're, they're, you know, they're gone. And they say, oh, don't worry, nobody's ever heard of us, but we're going to be here for a hundred years. I don't see a listing for you in the, in the phone, but don't worry about it, we're good. That's what it's, that's what that kind of mortgage is. It's like, yeah, you said you make it, so we'll believe you. You know, if you if you watch one of my favorite movies this year is uh, The Big Short, and if you watch that movie, they talk to uh, the, um, a professional dancer, we'll say, who uh, uses a pole in her performance. Um, she had four houses, and that's like a true story. She had four houses, and she was like, "How'd you get four houses?" They just kept giving me money. And she kept buying houses. It, it's yeah, but anyway, that's the show on mortgages. Um, we've got about three minutes left. I, I always can't believe I, I talk as much as I do. But we talked about land contracts, talked about quick claim, we talked about land leases, we talked about adjustable rate mortgages, we talked about fixed rate mortgages, uh, we talked about no job, no income uh, mortgages. As I said at the beginning of the show, I would encourage you, I just wanted to give you this information so you understand what they are. I would encourage you, at, before you enter into any contract regarding real estate, that you consult a lawyer um, and real estate agent, and both the people that you can trust, okay? But I encourage you to, to, to consult those professionals. They know what they're talking about. Particularly uh, the land contract, the first thing we talked about. Again, I'm only speaking for me. I can't see a scenario where I would ever enter, enter, enter into either side of one of those contracts. That's just me. I, I just don't see it. But, you know, your, your, your mileage may vary. You may have a different scenario in life or different goals in life or different whatever in life. Um, you want my opinion? I'm not going to give you my, my recommendation. My opinion, um, get a fixed-rate mortgage. If your credit will not support that, fix your credit. But don't do something that you will regret for a long time, you know, a lot longer, because you're trying to take a quick way out. And that's what happens if you try some of these other things, particularly a land, a land contract. And I'm, I'm sorry if it's not like I'm against these things, but I'd never heard of them before. And when I listened to the podcast, they talked about what they were and how insidious they were as far as uh, people paying on them for years. 
and then losing their house because they missed a payment. And then you start from square one. You've been paying on this thing for 28, 29 years. Think about that. You're four payments away from paying off your house, and you miss a payment for whatever reason. And they cancel your contract. And that last 30 years, 29 years of paying goes away. That's insidious. But that was how people of color were often kept out of home ownership. Uh, first, they were kept out of home ownership because they we, we couldn't get mortgages. We got land contracts, and we missed a payment, and boom. So the, one of the best ways to pass on wealth to your children is real estate. I mean, cold, hard cash is the bomb. But in lieu of cold, hard cash, real estate is one way that you can pass on um, wealth to your kids. So, so anyway, everybody, I hope you enjoyed the show. I hope it gave you something to think about. Like I said, I'm not a certified financial planner or any kind of um, financial certified anything in the financial realm. I'm not selling anything. I'm just trying to relay some information, trying to get people to be more a little more, little more knowledgeable about their money. That's the goal of this show is to just get you um, more knowledgeable about your money. So, with that. Again, I thank you so much for your time. This, this podcast will be on Facebook Live. It will also be on YouTube later on today, um, and it will be on Blog Talk Radio as well if you, want to hit it, if you want to listen to it there in the car while you're driving to work. Everybody, have a great, blessed week. It's first week of school down here in the ATL, so traffic sucks. Around, around everybody in the Northeast, and y'all school not starting for three weeks, enjoy it because, yeah, it's coming. But anyway, everybody, have a great day, and we will talk again soon. Bye-bye.